to continue on with my Jacob series, but then I kind of, when I was finished, put the final touches on what I thought was going to be the sermon today, I kind of looked over at the calendar and noticed that this is uh, Saturday, is Valentine's Day. And so I kind of, hmm, interesting. And I kind of didn't give it any more thought, and I thought, well, okay, that's, that's great, Valentine's Day. And then I went to bed, and I kept thinking, you know, you ought to do something about Valentine's. You ought to say something about Valentine's. Okay, okay, okay. So I thought, okay, I'll just ignore it. So yesterday I changed what I was going to do this morning. So, And I'm going to talk about Valentine's Day. Now, in case you guys don't know it, Saturday is Valentine's Day. It's not too late to get a card for your wife or your yeah, your wife. <laughs> and uh, I kind of look at it, I heard a, a story about a guy, and he had this tradition on, how, on Valentine's Day or usually other holidays, what he would do to celebrate the, the holiday or Valentine's Day is he'd take his wife down to Walmart, and they would go sit in the um, greeting card area. And what he would do is he'd pick out the cards, and he'd read all these cards to his wife. And I thought, that'd go over big, wouldn't it? If you say, okay, honey, well, I'm taking you to Walmart. I'm going to read cards to you. And I thought, that wouldn't fly very much in today's world. But, you know, I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking, you know, that would be nice. Because it, it serves two purposes. It gets your husband out of the house. It gets you to go take you somewhere. So if your husband doesn't take you anywhere, then you get him out of the house. And then he stands there and reads all these lovely Valentine's poems to you. Wouldn't that be kind of exciting if that's what your husband did to you? Or your Wife, wouldn't that be cool? Maybe the, maybe the husbands wouldn't like it so well, but the wives would really like that. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe that's a pretty good tradition. Maybe we ought to do that. How about that, Val? How about taking her to Walmart and sit there and read cards? Would you like that, Cecilia? <laughs> would be kind of different to have them, you know, you get a card and you read it and all these, you know, mushy little things. So hopefully they're mushy. Maybe they're funny ones. But anyway, have them sit there and actually read them to you. Wouldn't that be kind of nice? Reading, I'll read about 10 cards to you. Hey, that'd be kind of cool. And you've already got him in, at Walmart, so you can go shopping while you're there. And they don't like to go shopping anyway, so hey, you kill two birds with one stone. So I kind of had to rethink that, that it might be, might be kind of a good, good tradition. And uh, I was thinking about Valentine's Day, and I was wondering, and I don't know, maybe you have too, you wondered, where, where did we get Valentine's from? How did this habit or this ritual ever, ever have developed? Have you ever wondered that? Well, I found out how it got started. And I'm going to read it to you because I don't want to mess up the story. So, but it's kind of interesting, and I never heard it before. So hopefully you haven't either. But if it's something you've heard, then it's, maybe we need to re renew it. And it says, about 250 years ago, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a priest by the name of Valentine. He lived in Rome. At that time, Claudius was the emperor of Rome. Some people called him Claudius the Cruel. St. Valentine didn't like Emperor Claudius, and he wasn't the only one. Many people felt that way. Claudius wanted a big army. He thought men should volunteer to join. Many men just did not want to leave home and go off to fight wars. Don't blame him for that. I wouldn't want to either. We have the same problem today. I don't blame him. They did not want to leave their girlfriends and their wives, so not many men volunteered for the Roman army. This made the emperor very angry. He had a crazy idea that if men were not married, they would be more inclined to join the army. Sounds smart, like a, something that'd go through a debauch mind, huh? So Claudius decreed that there would be no more marriages. We've almost got that decreed in America today, don't we? 
they don't people have kind of thrown out marriage and it's okay to live with people and that kind of thing. So they've kind of almost decreed that today. Young people thought this new law was really cruel. Valentine thought it was ridiculous. One of his favorite duties as a priest was to marry people. It's kind of one of the, one of the greatest jobs that a, that a pastor or minister can have is to marry people because that's the happiest day of people's lives, and you get to be a part of it. So, so much sometimes that people are involved in all the sorrow things that's going on in the world, so it's nice to be involved in a happy time. Everybody's happy unless the in-laws are already fighting and bickering over who gets what or you know, who brought what or whatever. But generally speaking, it's the most happy day that people have in their lives. So after Emperor Claudius passed his law, Valentine kept on performing marriage ceremonies, but secretly. He would whisper the words of the ceremony while listening for soldiers on the steps outside. One, val val one night, Valentine did hear footsteps at his door. The couple he was marrying escaped, but he was caught. He was thrown into jail and told that his punishment was death. St. Valentine tried to stay cheerful, and many young people came to the jail to visit him. They threw flowers and notes up to his window. They wanted him to know that they too believed in love. One of these young people was the daughter of the prison guard. Her father allowed her to visit him in the cell. They often sat and talked for hours. She believed he did the right thing by ignoring the emperor and performing marriage ceremonies. On the day Valentine was to die, he left her a note thanking her for her friendship and loyalty. He signed it. Love from your Valentine. That note started the custom of exchanging love notes on Valentine's Day. It was written on the day he died, February 14, 269 A.D. Now every year on this day, people remember, but mostly, most importantly, they think about love and friendship. When they think of Emperor Claudius, they remember how he tried to stand in the way of love, and they laugh because they knew that love can't be beaten. So that's how we got the custom. It's kind of an interesting custom, and uh, it is. Nothing can stop love. No matter what happens, you can't keep, you know, when we were younger, or when our kids were younger anyway, and they got to the age of dating. I don't know whether you've ever done this, and, and your daughter is going with somebody you don't like, and you say, I don't want you going out with them. But they think, oh, but Dad, I'm in love. I'm in love. And they do it anyway, because you can't stop it. If they think they're in love with somebody, or they are in love with something you can't, you, there's nothing you can do. You might as well just throw up your hands and say, okay, get over it or let them, you know, make the decision. Because nothing can stop love. We found that in the society we live in. They've tried to quench out God's love. They've tried to throw God out of everything that we have. But they can't do it. Even in the deepest, darkest places where, where oppression is so great and it's illegal to be a Christian, you go in there and you meet people that are Christians. Why? Because you can't stop love. No matter how hard you try, you can't do it. And it's that love that's the reason we have Valentine's Day. And somebody named Valentine basically started the custom. I know we like to think that it was the greeting card industry because they make so much money on it. And the candy places and the flower places because they make a fortune this time of year. But in reality, it was a Christian that started it. And the reason that they started it was kind of, you know, an interesting thing. And when we think about love, we have to think about the love chapter in the Bible. And I'm going to read that this morning. <clears throat> it's in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you want to turn there. Now I'm going to read this this morning out of my, this is my, was my dad's Bible. I remember when uh, I gave it to my dad, he wasn't a Christian. And I had, they had a sale on these at the Christian bookstore over 20 years ago. And I bought Bibles for everybody that I wanted to see saved. And I even put their names on it. 
had, it, had their names embedded on it, and it says, Jesus loves you. And I gave it to my dad. I gave one to Randy before he was saved. And almost every person I gave this Bible to is a Christian today. My dad died a Christian, and when he died, my, my stepmom gave me his Bible. So in the last few years he was alive, he couldn't really read, so it was, you know, he really didn't get much use out of this as far as reading it was concerned because his eyes were so bad. But I gave it to everyone that I wanted to see saved, and I gave it to them in faith. And every Bible I gave them, I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you that every person that has this Bible is going to get saved. And God has honored that. So I'm thankful for that. So I'm going to read this out of, out of his Bible. It's out of the New, new uh, King James Version. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that when that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These strings, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest force that we have in this world is love. It's something that can conquer anything. If you're in love with somebody, when you first get married in life, you know, when you first start out, you don't have all the things that your parents had, and, and you don't have maybe the, a nice car to drive around in. Maybe you live in a cockroach-infested apartment or something because that's all you can afford. But you don't care because you're together. And it's that love that you have for each other that keeps you going. And that love that you have makes every day seem wonderful to you. And that's what love is. And God created love. And not only did he create love, he is love. Now, that's hard for us to understand. But God is love. We love people, and we, we show love towards people. But God is love. And anything that we do in relationship to love comes from God. So if we love God, if we love our husband, we love our wife, we love our kids, it's God's love that we're actually um, giving out. Because God is love. God is the source of all love. And so it was kind of interesting around Valentine's Day, I got to think, you know, God gave us a Valentine, didn't he? And I want to talk about four things that we can do to show that we love him. Now, God gave us a Valentine in uh, John 3.16. We're all familiar with it that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's probably the most famous scripture there is in the world. But we need to actually sit down and we need to look at those words. For God so loved the world. 
He loved us so much. He didn't love us because we were pretty. He didn't love us because we, we were so smart. He didn't love us because we had money. He didn't love us because of the, our st- situation in life or the titles that we hold or anything that we can do. He just loved us because we were his crea- some part of his creation, something that, that, that he created and he wanted so much for us, just like we do for our kids. Because that was God's valentine to us. I remember when I was a kid, we gave out valentines. Maybe they don't, they, I think they still do it to a certain degree. And everybody would make these decorated little shoe boxes or something for people to put, uh, put valentines in. And some kids, they would get a lot. All the popular kids, they got a lot of valentines. The kids that weren't hardly popular, they didn't hardly get any. Anyway, that's the way it was when I grew up. Of course, nowadays they make you give one to everyone in your class to make it, you know, make it fair. And then you'd go home and you'd kind of look through your valentines and be so excited as a little kid looking at them and reading, oh, this, who's this from? This is from Susie. This is from, this is from Tommy. Oh, and this is for the, oh, this is from Johnny. Oh, I like Johnny. He's cute. I like, oh. And that's the way you, know, you pick out that one because that's the one you got the crush on that time. And I don't know why it is, but girls always have crushes on boys a long time before boys have crushes on girls. So, but anyway. And so that's what we do. Because we like those Valentines. We like to, oh man, we just have a, and we don't hardly throw them away. It takes us probably till next year or the year after, or your parents get tired of them, and they eventually throw them away. Because we hang on to those Valentines, because they're special to us. I got these. And they say all nice things about us, and so we just love to read nice things about us. Well, here we have God's Valentine. And God says, here, I want to give you this Valentine. I want to put it in that shoebox for you. But we got our, a lot of people have their hand over the box. I don't want that Valentine. I don't want that one. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Don't want that one. Because I don't understand that Valentine. Or we'll say, yeah, I want to accept God's Valentine. I want his Valentine. And so, but how do I get it? How do I accept it? Where do I put my shoebox? How do I get it? It's really, really simple. We know Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that's how we accept God's valentine. We acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We accept his love, say, I accept you into my life. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I need you in my life. And then when we do that, we've accepted God's valentine. That's the most important thing that we can do to make God happy on valentines, is accept his valentine. The next thing we can do is stand up for the truth and proclaim the gospel of God's love. Romans, oh, excuse me, Psalms 49 and 10 says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have concealed your loving, I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Now, standing out for, up for what you believe or standing up for, for your faith and hope in God is difficult at times. And sometimes it's even dangerous. I know in America we're kind of spoiled because we can about say what we want. People may make fun of us, but it's not going to cost us our life. Valentine, who started this tradition, it cost him his life to, to stand up for what he believed. See, God is the one that did perform the first marriage ceremony, and God wanted us to be married, husbands and wives. Because that's, that was his plan. And then when somebody tried to dissuade God's plan, that we have to choose, irregardless of the circumstances, irregardless of what's going to go on or what the cause or the effect is, we have to stand up for what we believe in. 
And this Bible is what we believe in. It's what God believes in. That's what we have to do. We have to be willing to do that. So if you want to show God uh, how much you love him and give God a valentine, stand up for what you believe. Quit hiding in a corner. Stand up for what you believe, even though it's difficult. And I know I got made fun a lot of when I was at work in different places. When you're the boss, they, you know, they don't make fun of you as much as when you're just one of the boys type thing. But they did make fun of me a lot. But it's amazing. As soon as they have a problem, they're the first one you go to. Oh, Sandra, would you pray for me? Would you do this? You know, my grandmother's sick or my, my kid is sick or, or my husband lost his job. Would you pray for that? Isn't that true? If, if you've ever been in the workplace, you know that to be true. They'll make fun of you about, behind your back. They'll make fun of you. I remember this, this one place I used to work that every morning, you know, they'd come in early and we'd be sitting there drinking our coffee and they'd be, the one lady would read the um, horoscope for her horoscope for the day out loud, which, you know, I didn't, you know, okay, it's free country. So I got to where, okay, she read her horoscope and I says, you know what my horoscope says today? And I'd read my verse for the day. This is what God said. Today is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know? Okay, that's my horoscope. Because, you know, if you do these, uh, some of these uh, little devotionals that you have, they'll have a scripture for the day. And so I started reading those every day. Okay, you want to read yours? I'm reading mine. And so they got a scripture, and yet, even though they didn't want it, but they couldn't say anything, because if I had to listen to theirs, they had to listen to mine. So, but behind my back, they would make fun of me. Oh, yeah, that Bible thumper, you know, and uh, whatever. But as soon as they got sick, I remember I was in one of the supervisor's uh, office one day. Or when she came in, or she said, come in here a minute. And I said, okay. So I went in there. And she says, you know, I've got this terrible headache. She says, it is hurting so bad, a migraine, that I can't hardly stand it. Would you pray for me? I said, sure. Lord, <laughs> she didn't expect that, <laughs> you know. She didn't expect me putting my hand on her shoulder and start praying. She'd probably look around, what if somebody comes in the office? See, I don't care. I didn't care. She asked me, I'm going to pray for her. So I prayed for her and said, okay, in the name of Jesus, you're healed, or whatever I said. I don't know. When I pray, I don't pay attention to what I say. I just kind of try to pray from the heart. And so I said, okay, God bless you. God's going to take care of it. So I left, and, you know, I had work to do. And so I left, and it wasn't about an hour later she comes up to me, and she kind of sheepishly comes up to me. She says, Sandra, thank you. You know, my headache's gone. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of exciting. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun, you know, with that. And we can have fun with those kind of things. But in America, we have that freedom to do that. If you live in China or you live in, in a Muslim-infested country, where that's the dominant domination that's, that's keeping the people oppressed, you can't do that in the open. If you change from, uh, from Islam to Christianity, they'll kill you. And at least your, your family will disinherit you. They say, I have no more son. I have no children. So we live in America where we can freely stand up for what we believe. So I don't know why we don't. The America's in the shape it's in because of this. We do not stand up for what we believe. I'm amazed all these surveys that come on that they give, and 80% of the people say they believe in God. And 80% of the people do, do not want all this stuff going on. Well, where are those 80%? If we had 80% of the people sending emails and letters to our congressmen, I guarantee you they would take notice because they're afraid to get voted out. They're afraid of losing that power. So we have nothing to lose by standing up. 
and for what we believe. I, I email my congressman all the time. It's so easy now, man, with the internet, we don't even have to waste a stamp. We just can fill their email boxes with email, and they will respond. They do respond, because every time I've sent something to them, they respond. It might not be them personally, but one of their assistants, and if it's something they get a lot of, that person's going to take it on up the road, say, hey, I've gotten 150 of these things stating this, or I've got 1,000 or 2,000 of this. They're going to start paying attention, because those are the people that are making the noise. And what do you do with people that make noise? What do you do with a squeak in your wheel? If you're riding a bicycle and you've got a squeak, what do you do with it? Drives you crazy. You have to oil it. You have to keep them from doing something because it's driving you crazy. Well, that's the same thing we can do with our congressmen and our senators and even the president. You can even email the president because we live in a society where we can do that. So there's no reason we can't stand up for what we believe. And that's the way that we can show God that we've accepted his valentine in our life. That's how we can show God that we've accepted his love and we want to love him back. And that's to be able to show our love. When I fell in love with my husband, I wasn't shy about it. And I know you guys weren't either. Man, it changed your whole life. That's, you ate, slept, and whatever, that person in your whole life. Till, then you got married. But you thought about him from the moment that you got up till the time you went to bed. And you talked to him on the phone for hours and hours and hours. Didn't you? You could not get me to quit talking about him. I don't care what. Some people may get tired of hearing about it. But you couldn't stop me from doing it because that's what love does to you. It changes who you are, and it changes your, your behavior. It changes everything about you, and that's what God wants to do for us. When we accept his love into our life, he wants to change everything about us, and so it's not hard. It's hard for us to sit down. We have to fight ourselves to sit down and not talk about God. You could have, you know, you'd have had to put tape over my mouth quit talking about my husband. Of course, I still like him a lot. I think he's the most perfect man that God ever created next to Jesus. And if he'd have been rich, he would have been completely perfect. <laughs> of course, he told me when we first, you know, when we got married that he was going to make money. But I didn't know that it meant that he was going to be working at the Denver Mint, where he didn't get to bring home any samples. So, but we can't stop talking about the people that we love. When we have children, what do we got? You ask a grandma or a mom. Pull out their wallet. Man, they got pictures of kids, and they'll just show you, tell you about them, and they'll show you pictures of them. Why? Because they love those kids. They love those grandkids. And they sit there, and you think, oh, man, don't you just get tired of listening to some people talk about their kids? Don't you? But that's what God wants us to do, because you talk about what you love. You talk about what you're involved in and what's important to you. And if God's important to us, we'll talk about him. That's the reality of it. If we love God, we'll talk about him. And we don't care. They may forbid th certain things, but they can't stop it from bubbling out of your heart because you love someone. And so that's the next thing that we can do. <clears throat> One, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We have a hard time talking about God because the people that we're talking to him about, they don't understand it. They think it's just a bunch of foolishness. And so they respond in a negative way because they think we're idiots. And we've got to understand that that's the way that they see us. They see us as a bunch of idiots, a bunch of Bible thumpers. And we've got to understand that. So we've got to know that when we're sharing God to somebody, that they're not going to readily accept the message. And then we know that going in, then we're not going to get our little feelers hurt and go home and say, God, I did what you wanted me to do, but they made fun of me. Oh, oh you poor little thing. 
And then we say, I'm not doing it anymore. But we've got to understand that they are looking through it through eyes that you are a fool. You're crazy. And before we became Christians, we thought the same way, didn't we? I don't want no part of that religion stuff. All religion, they, all they want in religion is just, they just want your money. So if you don't go to church, you get a 10% raise. That's where attitude about church and God. Because they don't understand that it's how much it's a blessing to your life. And how much God blesses you more than you could ever be blessed. They don't understand that. It's like trying to explain to somebody what it's like to fall in love. When they've never fallen in love. You can't. You can't understand it. They have all these fairy tales, movies that they have out. Cinderella and, and uh, Sleeping Beauty and all these things that kind of give us, oh, wow, that's what love's like. That's what love's like. That's what it's like to fall in love. But if you've never sensed what it's like to fall in love, it's hard to explain it to somebody. And we have to understand that. And when we understand that, it's going to be easier for us to just say, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep, 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 keeping on until I finally get through, until I finally get them to see. So we've got to understand that that's going to happen. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God unto salvation. God gives us a power. When we accept him, he gives us power. This power from the Holy Spirit changed a bunch of scared disciples into mighty men of God. And that's what God wants to do for us. But we've got to allow his power to do it. He told us that when we witness to people, don't worry about what you're going to say because that's some of our greatest fear about talking about God and sharing God is because we don't know what to say. What am I going to tell them? I'm going to want to look like an idiot. I want to look like I know something. Well, God says don't worry about it because when you come to that situation, I'm going to give you the words to say. And I'm amazed sometimes when I talk to people. I had somebody call me on the phone. I don't know who this guy was. I don't know where he got my phone number from or what it was, and I talked to him on the phone for over an hour. And he wanted to know about God and if I believed that God really loved people and if, God, if there was such a thing as salvation and all these other kind of things. I mean, if that catches you out of the blue, I'm going, man, what in the world? But I could sense that this guy wanted some answers. I don't know who he was. Out of some four, out of about two or three states over. And I talked to him for over an hour trying to explain it. And after I hung up the phone, I was amazed of what God gave me to tell this guy. Because if the persons honestly want to know some answers, God is going to give them to us. Because God wants every person saved. He wants to let everyone experience his love and joy and peace. That's his will. And we get all up in an in a uproar about, man, I don't want to look like an idiot to my friends. They already think I'm crazy. And when you become a Christian, your friendship's automatically severed. you notice that? When we got saved, we had all these friends that we had. But as soon as you start changing and all of a sudden your life's doing they're different you're not doing some of the things you used to do you're not enjoying all the same things they do all of a sudden they just don't want to be around you have you noticed that so god you, they, you just automatically you don't have to forsake any of your friends they automatically don't want anything to do with you but we have to not worry about that know that god is going to help us to show his love and experience his love but we have to be willing to uh, stand up and do it and we're not supposed to be ashamed second timothy 1 8 says Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony for the Lord. We can't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what Paul said. And we have to be of the same way. We can't be ashamed of it. We're ashamed of it, then we need to get on our knees until we let God's love flow through us that it doesn't matter. When God's love is so powerful in us and you love someone, it doesn't matter what's going on in the environment. It doesn't matter what people say or what they think. Because 
you're, you're speaking from your heart. And when God's inside you, you're speaking God's heart. And God's heart is that everyone wants to be saved. So that's what we got to do. Uh, John, and the one thing we can't do, we get all excited about, is that, um, let's see, where is it? I'm sitting there looking at this one scripture I don't see. Oh, I'm in the wrong page, that's why. We think it's, all, it's our job as Christians to judge people. Don't we? I know that there's, there's these people that um, think that said, did, um, again, let me get my thoughts here. I don't want to miss the point. We see all these things about people. I know that when they, uh, they have the conferences up in Salt Lake, we have all these people, all these Christians going up there, and they're, they're yelling at them and telling them, you're going to hell. You're going to go to hell. You're lost. You're doing this and you're doing that. And they're trying to ram God down people's throats. That's not something we can do. We can't ram Jesus down people's throats. That isn't God's, God's plan. He didn't want us to do that. Because he said in John 3, 17, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn his world, but the world through him might be saved. And we'll never convince anyone, or very few people, about that by trying to ram him down his throat. I know that when Randy got saved, it wasn't because... I told him I'd beat him over the head with the Bible every day, and that's what we think it's our job. Hey, I'm a Christian. I've got to beat him over the head with the Bible. He's not going to get saved unless I know him. And we're, and we're so frantic because we want everyone to, that's lost, we want them saved, especially our loved ones. But we can't do that because God didn't say that's how you witness. He said for us to be a witness. Now, there's a difference. A witness, when we're a witness, they ask us questions. Have you ever been to a courtroom? And they swear you in said, you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And you don't get to say anything. They ask you a question. Where were you on such and such a night? What did you see? And that's the way that we're supposed to lead people to God. It's not by beating them over the head and every morning taping scriptures to the mirror so your husband will read it. I don't know. Some people do that. <laughs> Tape it to the mirror, put scriptures in their lunchbox, and they get to work, and they open up their sandwich, and there's a scripture right on the top of it, and all the guys make fun of them because he's got a scripture on his sandwich. What's the matter with that wife of yours? I don't know. I'm so tired of her. You know, now we've embarrassed him, and now he's got to be defensive and all those things. That isn't the way we generally win people to the Lord. There are people that do come to the Lord under those circumstances, but generally that isn't the way it's going to happen. Work it's going to happen because of our life, because that's our testimony. I mean, my husband didn't like the fact that he lost his drinking partner. He didn't like that. Our whole life changed. Our friends didn't like it because they lost their drinking partner. And now I'm a fifth wheel. You know, you're trying to drive a car with one wheel gone, it's kind of hard, isn't it? Well, that's the way they felt. And they thought, man, we don't like her no more. Don't bring her around here no more. We don't like it because it ruined their friendship, our friendship in their mind. But I didn't beat them over the head with the Bible. I didn't say you people are going to go to hell unless you get saved. I found out that I'm going to heaven, but you're going to hell. People don't like to hear that. So what did I do? I just tried to live the best that I could. And my husband, he sat there, you know, he didn't like losing his drinking partner, but he couldn't deny that he liked some of the changes that had happened in my life. He didn't, didn't, he liked those things. So we got looking at it a little closer. Well, maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is. Maybe I shouldn't just throw it out with the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe I shouldn't do that. So that made him start looking a little closer at it. And our friends, they started looking at it a little closer because I didn't bother to, you know, put them down 
I just lived my life. I refused to, you know, to drink because I didn't think personally that I could do that. I thought that would be a bad testimony to me. Some people can do that and get away with it. I can't. I couldn't. And so they started taking thoughts of what I was saying. And they thought, well, maybe, maybe that's okay. Maybe there is something to this. And then they started asking me questions. And then they started saying, hey, you know, you know so much about the Bible. We've always wanted to know about the Bible. Why don't you give us some, uh, some Bible studies so we can kind of learn a little more? Oh, wow. Okay. See, I didn't have to beat them over the head. I just lived my life, did what I could do, and le- answered their questions and lived my life. And so first the husband got saved. Then the wife got saved. And then Randy, he was the last one of that group because we, we were four real close friends, and we still are, and they live here in Canaan. And Why? Now, if I don't want to beat them over the head every time I seen them, told them they were going to, going to hell, they wouldn't have got saved. That wouldn't have never happened. But God, thank God, he gave me the wisdom to know that I shouldn't be doing that. Plus, I put him, up, put him on the prayer list of the ladies in the church. That's suicide. Suicide for any need. Get the women in the church to pray for your loved ones, your husbands. Oh, they love to pray for husbands. Oh, they love that. And I'll tell you, they didn't have a chance. So, but I learned a lot during that experience. I learned that that isn't the way that I learn people. That's why I don't believe in tearing things down. We got to give God's message, be a witness, answer their questions, and let God put it in their heart. Because if I could save somebody, hey, man, I'd save everybody. But I can't. I can't save anybody. I have all this love that I want people to, to share in God, but I can't do anything about it. Only God can do it. And I have to be able to sit back and say, God, how do you want to use me today? Give me wisdom. Help me to keep my mouth shut. Because sometimes the best things I can do is keep my mouth shut. Because sometimes I open my mouth and I say things that I try to grab as it's going out and you can't get it there. You know, have you done that? I still do that. But I say, God, when that happens, I say, God, don't let this hinder the testimony. Don't let this hinder them from finding you. Because ultimately that's what I want. But if I stand up, for what I believe, then it makes it easy, easier for God to be able to, to use us for his will and for his glory. <clears throat> and then we can, uh, next thing we can do, if I find it here, is we need to die to ourselves for others' sakes. Sure, we give our life to Christ, God, and we've accepted him when we accept him when we get saved, but we need to die to self. It's easy to accept something. That's easy. That's the easy part. It's dying to ourself that's hard. In uh, John 15, 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down one's life for our friends. Now, in our daily lives, we don't have a lot of opportunities to lay down our lives for others. But we do have lots of opportunities to not have our own way. That's the hardest way thing for us to do, to let someone else desires be above ours. That's what love is, isn't it? When you get married and you fall in love with somebody, it isn't just giving them the bigger piece of the cake. (laughs) Although, you know, sometimes they need to do that because, you know, they've got more place to store those extra calories than we do. (laughs) But it's not having your own way. I, I found out a long time ago when I got married that I would rather be happy than have my own way. Now think about that for a minute because that's the secret do you want to be happy or do you want to have your own way? Because usually you're not going to have both. Sometimes you're going to, but generally speaking, if you want your own way, it's not going to bring you happiness. 
But when you have God's way, it'll always make you happy. And God helps us to be able to love other people and being willing to let them have their own way. Not always having to have the last word. Not always answering in a harsh manner. Because if we answer in a harsh manner, people aren't going to accept God. If they can't see God's love in you, they're never going to want to see God's love. They're never going to experience it. They have to be able to see it in us. They have to be able to, to see what it's done for our lives. Now, when we got saved, our life changed radically. I mean, people that meet us now, they don't know what we used to be. So they don't know how much we've changed. But the people back then, they knew how much we've changed. And they take notice, what is it that changed your life? I mean, Randy's, Randy's parents, they didn't like the fact that he had left the uh, family religion, per se, but they couldn't deny that his life was different. They didn't do anything for him, but all of a sudden, he's a different man. So they couldn't say, well, I don't like it because they've seen the changes in his life. So they had to accept the fact there's something different here, and they had to acknowledge that. And that's what people will have to acknowledge in our own lives. They may disagree with the things that we say. They may disagree with the things that we do. But they can't disagree with God's love that's flowing through us. And that's not necessarily wanting to have our own way, but to let God have his way through our lives. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. That old carnal nature that we have in our lives, that's what has to die. And sometimes it's, I die daily. We are born selfish. We're born wanting our own way. And every day we have to crucify the flesh. That's the hardest thing that we have to do in our life. But God gives us the power if we want to. The problem is some of us don't want to. But if we want to serve God and we want his love to flow through us and we want his love to be able to influence the people around us, that's what we have to do. And we have to crucify the flesh. And if we don't, then we're going to lose more victories than we win. The Holy Spirit persuades, persuades us to want to do that. When he's living within us, we want to do that. So we just have to ask him every day, crucify the flesh. Next thing we have to do is give your life to Jesus, okay? We want to accept salvation, but we don't want to give him our life. We want to kind of have... One foot in the world and one foot in, in Christianity. And we'll say, this is the way I want to walk. But you can't walk very good like this. You've got to get on one side of the fence or the other. And if we want to accept God's love, we have to give him our life. And when someone dies for you in the Chinese proverb, your life belongs to them. That's where that proverb came from. Confucius says all those things. A lot of it came right out of the Bible. Some of the, the truths come right out of there. And if someone dies for you, your life belongs to them. And our life belongs to Christ because he died for us. And our lives need to be changed. Well, I'm not, I wasn't happy with my life the way it was before. Oh, yeah, we think we are. But we don't really know how much unhappiness we have in our life till we find God. And that's the same thing the world is. They don't understand how unhappy they are without God until they find him. And they say, man, man, what a difference this made. I didn't know how lost I was. But we have to be willing to give him our life. And when we give him our life, then he directs us. And he says, I want you to go over here. And if we want to go over here, we go over here. And if God wants us to, to teach a Sunday school class and we don't want to, then we need to. If God wants us to, to lead worship and we don't want to, we do it. 
because we want it isn't our life. We tell our kids what to do from the time they're little until they leave. And as long as they live under my roof, they're going to do what I say. If they don't like it, there's the door. Well, as Christians, we're living under God's roof. And God's got a wonderful place prepared for us. But we can't live our own lives because it isn't ours. And the Bible says that when you give your life to him, we're new creations, aren't we? Old things are passed away. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have a problem with people that their lives aren't different after they say they accepted Christ. If their life isn't different, I question whether or not they're saved. Because God says you become a new creation. If you're a new creation, you're different. There's something different about you. There's a lot of people that, that think that they can just come up here and say a little prayer or sit back there and say a little prayer. I accept Jesus in my heart. I believe he's my Savior. Amen. And then go on and do the same exact things that they've done their whole life. That isn't that is the way it works. If you're truly saved, then your life is different. And if it isn't different, then we need to get on our knees and say, God, make me different. If there's no difference between me and the world, then I don't think I'm saved. If my desires aren't any different, if I want to still go out drinking and carousing with my friends instead of reading my Bible, I need to check to see if there's a new creation in here. We're going to want to do a lot of things. I'm not saying that God's going to take all the want to out of our lives because he doesn't, because there's a lot of things we're going to want to do. But that's where the love comes in. When I love God, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do anymore because I don't want to hurt God. And God gets hurt. Did you know that? <clears throat> Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to make God unhappy. I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to hurt my husband. That's why I don't do a lot of things that, that I could maybe get away with. Because I don't want to hurt him. Because I love him. I've separated myself from everyone else. Not that there's a big line of people that want me anyway. <laughs> but in my heyday, I was, wasn't too bad. <laughs> But I separated myself from everyone else, and I chose to, just to live for him to be my, the love of my life. And I don't need to think about any more about any, anything over here because I've separated that. And I cook and do, the, do things that he likes because he likes it, because I want to do something to make him happy, not because I have to. My husband would be happy if, I sent, if he sat at the table and I gave him a can opener, a bowl of soup, and a can of, uh, a can of soup, and let him open his own. He'd be happy. He wouldn't say a thing. But I don't want to do that because I love him. And I want to do things that, you know, I'll, I'll at least warm the soup up for him, you know. <laughs> and put the crackers on the table. <laughs> and once in a while, I'll even fix his favorite meal, whatever it is. Why? Because I have to? No. And in this day and age, there's not even a rule that says the woman has to cook and clean and the husband does this and the husband does that. Because those kind of rules don't exist anymore, do they? Generally, the woman still does most of the cooking. But when I was growing up, my dad did all the cooking. So it isn't always necessarily so. But there's things that I want to do to please him. And that's what God wants us to do. My life was different when I got married. All of a sudden, I'm a different person. My name changed, too. Nowadays, they don't even want to change their names. I don't understand that. But my name changed. And when we become a Christian, our name changes. God has a new name for us written down in glory. And he changed our name. And he doesn't want us to be the same person we were. He loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us in the condition we were in. And he still loves us because he wants us to be changed into the image of God.
into the image of Christ. That's what he wants. That's his desire for our life. My desire for my husband is that he be as successful as he can be, for him to grow into the man that God wants him to be. And he wants me to be the, the woman that God created me to be and to grow into that person. That's God's desire for each one of us. And that's the same thing that God has for us vertically too. He wants us to be the person that he created us to be. And that person is someone wonderful. And I don't know what it is that's hindering us from becoming that person. Maybe it's because we haven't given him our life. Might be. Because if we're hanging on to our life with one hand and the world to the other, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make heaven. And we're just going to be miserable because you can't do that. We have to let go of the world or we have to let go of God, one or the other. If we let go of God, then we get, we're in a worse situation than we were before, before we found God. Because there's nothing worse than a backslidden Christian. If you've ever been around them, you know that to be so. They drink more than they ever drank before. They cuss more than they ever cussed before. <clears throat> but we've got to let go of the world and say, I'm going this way. <clears throat> this is the way I want to go. And when we do that, that's the way that we give God our valentine. Valentines from God are for everyone. Not like the little kids in the school where if you weren't good, you didn't get a valentine or you weren't popular. God has the same valentine for me that he has for the most popular kid in school or the, most, or the richest one or whatever. His valentine is the same for everyone. And what better way to celebrate valentines than accepting God's valentine? I wrote this little poem. It's called The Valentine of Love. And it says, Valentine's Day is the time of the year when you say I love you to the one you hold dear. It's a time when love is the theme of the day, yet there's a love that some throw away. A love so perfect, so strong, and so true. A love so vast, so old, yet so new. A love that will meet our every desire if we will but trust in and cling to its power. This is the love God has for man. A love innumerable like the stars or the sand. A love so big the world can't destroy it. A love so understanding, a child can enjoy it. This love can't be bought with silver or gold. You cannot obtain it through the land that you hold. This love isn't yours for the works that you've done, nor is it yours for the race that you've run. But this love can be yours with one simple prayer, saying, God, here's my sin, here's my trouble and cares. Then this love will forgive you for all that you've done, if you will but live for and believe. In his son. That's what Valentine's Day should mean to each one of us. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for sending us the greatest Valentine present, Lord, that anyone could ever receive, Lord, and we thank you for that, Lord. You emptied heaven, Lord, to give us the most precious gift you had, and I thank you, Lord, for that. I ask, Lord, that each one of us here this morning, Lord, would realize, Lord, what a great gift that you have offered to each one of us, and I pray, 